And now, this week's edition of Big Face with your host, Samantha Jane Tilton. Hey guys, welcome to Big Face. I'm your host, Sammy Jane Tilton, and my guests today are Linda Balaban, who is a producer and writer, and her fiance, who is a writer, director, novelist, and former professor, Aaron Sanders. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Samantha. That is so many titles. <laughs> it's like, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a it lot. Was a lot. We spoke like briefly before uh, the show, guys, and just, you know, I like to ask my guests how they like to be introduced. There's a whole lot of things these guys do. So I, I was like, I don't want to kind of leave anything out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, by the way, guys, this is the first time I've had two people on at the same time. Which, oh, seriously? Yeah, which I love. And I said fiance. So you guys know they are actually in the same home right now. They're just in separate rooms because we're trying to do the whole tech thing. But um, yeah, the good the the reason and that so, the yeah go ahead please well and so that Linda doesn't interrupt me <laughs> no that's not why we're, we keep we keep we have to keep six feet apart according to the governor of California because you know it's COVID right now so. it's COVID right now especially in your own yeah. households yes it's it's, it's crazy yeah. times so I wanna I wanna just give a little um, you know uh, intro into how we got onto this uh, interview today. So Linda and I kind of know each other through social media, but we wound up talking about a project that Linda is producing and that Aaron is writing directing for, and it's called Garage, and we're gonna go into that. Um, but that was really the catalyst to this interview today because from what Linda shared with me, which I will have you talk about, uh, it seemed, like such an important thing that I couldn't miss the opportunity to have you guys on and talk about it and hopefully God willing get the word out there more about your project. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to hear a little bit about it. Well, Aaron, do you want to talk about it or do you want me to? You go first and I'll fill in the gaps. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we just finished filming our first short film it's called Garage, and it's a short suspense film hmm. about what it's like to live with untreated trauma. And it's based on Aaron's own real life experience. <clears throat> and we basically came to it after, you know, uh, basically like a three and a half, three year, really intense period where Aaron was suffering from PTSD from his childhood hmm. trauma. And through that process, like the one thing, like while like our lives fell apart, but the one thing that Aaron really seemed to be able to do during that time was write. And he's an incredible writer to begin with. And then like these, these personal stories just kind of started pouring out of him. And the way he would always describe it was that like writing saved his life because sharing for many survivors of uh, especially of sexual abuse, um, not being heard becomes a, not being heard, not being believed, not being understood, not even maybe understanding what's happening to them becomes all wrapped up with their other symptoms. Um, or maybe those are the symptoms, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Maybe those are the culprits of all the symptoms. And 
Aaron wrote a feature film and it was based on his experience and out of the feature, he wrote the short film. Mm. And we have to thank our executive producer, one of our executive producers, Bo, um, for uh, basically inspiring us to make the short film by saying he wanted to make it possible by getting us started. And he helped fund the short. And um, well, that's just a little bit about it. I have the, I got it. Like I have, even when we, before we even started talking, I wanted to start talking about it because I have the chills and I, it's, uh, it affects me even just hearing about it. Um, But I'll pause because I want to hear Aaron. um, I, I just, I, Thank you guys so much for making this. I want to know more about it, but even without knowing more about it, to, to shine light on it, to, to use your experience, strength, and hope, Aaron, and pour it into something. Thank God for your writing. Thank God that that was a vessel for, for your coping in the process. Thank God it gets to, God willing, save others help others be aware of the whole process of what that entails. So that's amazing. So please go ahead. I just needed to say that. Thank you. Um, and thank you for having us on to talk about it. My pleasure. Um, I think one thing I, well, uh, there are a couple strands that I'd love to share, um, but Linda, Linda's right. You know, when things were falling apart, um, I found safety in writing. And I, I was, I'm a trained fiction writer. I've been doing it for years and, you know, pivoted over to screenwriting because that's where my passion is. Like filmmaking mm. is where my passion lies. And so, um, so I did, I, I wrote this script and then we were driving in the desert one day, we were listening to script notes, this amazing podcast and Lulu Wong was on uh, talking about her film, The Farewell. And, and uh, I remember she was, she was describing how she came to make this film. And she, the message I got from the, the interview was, um, I, don't, I didn't know anything about filmmaking. <laughs> I'd, been, I'd been on film sets enough to know that being on film sets alone doesn't get you any closer to making a film. <laughs> and, and, and so if you wanna make a film, you just have to make it. And I, I looked at Linda and I said, we need to make we need to make a film and it needs to be based on this feature. And I thought she was going to say, no, like we can't do it right now. It's not a good time. And she said, okay. So, so I, I, I uh, began writing the, uh, the, the film. We, you know, my friend Bo happened to come into my life again, gave us some money to get going. We did a Kickstarter during the pandemic and we were able to raise the money to shoot the film. And we just shot it last week. Um, one, one other thing that I think was amazing, I guess we're having some technical. Yeah, no. So by the way, so Linda didn't just peace out on us guys. Uh, she was <laughs> yeah. trying to open some doors to open some internet for us, which you know how that works. Okay. Uh, that's a- right. <laughs> so, so go ahead. So, we're good. <laughs> so one really interesting thing that happened last weekend when we were filming is that the production designer had this idea I won't give away the story, but in the film, the garage becomes like this metaphor for the main character's subconscious where he's constantly dealing with the effects of trauma. Mm. And she wanted to, uh, 
she, she wanted to sort of consult with some of my own personal effects, as it were, from my experience. And so I have this big box full of like documents and things and uh, there are worksheets and, you know, how do I feel sheets, all these different things that you get in trauma therapy. And there was a notebook that I had with me when I was in the psychiatric ward for a 72 hour hold. And it was just a composition notebook. And I would, they don't give you for your own safety. They don't give you pens. They give you little pencils. And so you just have to write like this scribble. And, and when the staff would leave their pen on the, on, you know, they would set their pen down, I would steal them. And then I would put them under my bed and at night I would write. So I found this uh, hmm. notebook and in it, I had the outline for the film Garage. Hmm. And, and so it, and the first paragraph in fact was exactly like the first scene in the movie and many other things had changed, but the production designer blew up pages from the journal and inverted them and then decorated the garage with them. So it was this interesting synchronicity with, with the fact that writing saved my life, that I was writing about this film and that we eventually actually made the movie. I didn't know then that we would actually make it, but it, it all just sort of came together and um, in this idea that writing about my trauma is what got me to the point where I could get help. Mm. And, and um, in fact, we started the blog 72hourhold.com the morning after I got out of the psychiatric ward because I had just decided that I could no longer stay silent about it, that there was something about carrying this around with me that was making me even more sick. So I just decided to write as much as I could about my trauma and also recovering from trauma in hopes that it would help me recover. And it ended up helping a lot of other people as well, but it was a device to save my life. So that's all in a way, the story of Garage. Um, and now it's uh, with the editor. So we're, uh, we're in post-production and it will be ready in, you know, by February 1st. Wow, that's, I have so many, so many questions. Um, so this, was this, uh, did you say like three years ago? Is that when, uh, uh, at that time or? Well, it came out about three years ago. Okay. So what I would later learn um, in this amazing book called Trauma and Recovery by Judith mm -hmm. Herman is mm -hmm. that in order for a person to begin to recover from trauma, the first prerequisite is safety. And, and she says, I'm paraphrasing that until a survivor achieves some kind of safety, and that can be emotional, physical, you know, food, shelter, all these kinds of yes. things, a person can't begin to recover. And so when I met Linda mm. and we fell in love, it was the first time I felt safe, I think, in my entire life. And there was something about then feeling safe that allowed the trauma to begin to come out. Uh, at the time, it was very confusing because, I mean, we had a couple months of like bliss and then things started to get dislodged right. and I had no idea what was wrong. I, at the time, had been sober for 14 years and so I had done a lot of personal development. Yes. And I was 
I had, I had developed what I would call emotional resilience from that work, but that all went out the window when the trauma came out. So despite me doing all of those other things I had learned to do to -hmm. take care of myself, none of it worked. And I was desperate to, to get that back, but I couldn't get it back. So that began this long journey of going to different therapists. Like one week I went to four, Mm. I'm, it's not no exaggeration Four therapists in one week. Oh, I believe it. And Linda, in fact, because another thing, another side effect of trauma is that you lose jobs, you lose insurance, you lose your ability to show up in any kind of way. And then, and nobody understands that. So it's just like you're judged and fired. There's no understanding. It's just like, oh, they're yeah. whatever. So Linda had this great insurance and she was able to get couples counseling for us. Mm -hmm. And it was through that counseling, which was really just for me. (laughs) Um, And uh, the therapist whose name is Richard will always be grateful to him. He diagnosed me with PTSD and I was able to then get targeted help and the right kind of help, which started to make a difference. But that began a journey, which also lasted another year and a half, I would say, until things settled down enough that I started to have a kind of a symptom-free life again. Back to that, you know, home away from home kind of thing. Uh, I was finally able to come back to that place where I have emotional resilience, like I did with 14 years of sobriety. And um, so, but as part of, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, please, please. I interrupted. Well, I was just going to say that I think the journey transformed both of us. Um, I'll let Linda speak about it, but I'll just, you know, I'll just say that if you live with a person with untreated trauma, you develop trauma yourself, uh, vicarious trauma, or sometimes called secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. So she was having an experience too, which was extremely difficult. And when we finally came out, I remember one day she, she looked at me and she just said, we didn't go through all of this. We didn't get better just so we can have a be- another good day together. We need mm-hmm. to share what happened to us. And so as a couple, we have kind of made it our mission to tell our story and to try and save other people who go are going through a similar thing, save them time, help them get the right kind of help. Um as a phrase, you know, uh, we can see how our experience can benefit others. And, um, and that's exactly what you guys did. And um, there's something you said so much, and there's something to be said about exactly what you said, that you can't begin to recover until there is some form of safety, whatever that may be, whether it's physical, emotional, um, unconditional love in, in a moment with some that you can start to, at least that's been in my experience, and to have each other, to have found each other, and for that stuff to come up, first of all, that's so hard in a relationship, especially you said we had a little bit of bliss and then all this stuff comes up. And that's, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Cause it's, it's very, very difficult, but then to see, to come out the other end, to see how you both are better, how you both are better together and how you want to give to others is 
that's what it's all for. That's what all the pain, that is what all the growth, all the experience is for. And it's like you guys out there and anybody who struggles with things like this will be better for you guys doing this. So it's, I, I thank you so much for, for being open and sharing. I, uh, I'm a very private person, very uh, before I started this and people don't really believe that because I'm very, I can be very extroverted and, um, outgoing and talkative and, but I learned through my own therapy and trauma and all that stuff. I learned that I had so much pain that it was just like, bleh, and it used to just come out on everybody when I was younger. And I learned boundaries and therapy and, you know, uh, and I only share that stuff in very, very safe relationships. There's only a couple in my life that have been safe and unconditional. And that allowed me to heal and to grow. But before I started this podcast and, and this YouTube show, I would play over in my head. If somebody shares about something, do I be honest? And do I share my own experience? I don't let people know these things about me. So it's been... Um, so I just, I honor so much the courage to, to share those pieces of yourselves and your experience, because for me, that is a very difficult thing. It's, it's raw and it's, it's hard and it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to do that. Thank you. For you for guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really mean that. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, you know, we're, you know, I, it's, for me, it's a little, uh, I never thought about it that much, I guess, because it was coming from such a desperate place. And, yeah. um, and so part of me wonders sometimes if I could put it all back in the bottle, but I, I don't want to, it's, it's changed our lives. It's, um, you know, working on this film, for example, we yeah. have had so many people who have helped us, who have worked on our crew or, or you know, get, uh, pledged money, things like that. Uh, and it's been, it's all because so many people are walking around with trauma and not everybody is in a position to be able to share it. I'm very fortunate in that there are certain parts to what happened to me that allow me, uh, I believe, to be able to share. I mean, first of all, it wasn't somebody in my family, so that's not complicated. Mm. The guy who did it to me committed suicide. So mm. that's not, that doesn't complicate it. Right. Um, my mother uh, rescued me from what was happening it had already mm -hmm. happened but what that did is it allowed i didn't have to worry about being believed because she saw with her own eyes and went through that whole process so she has had an experience herself and uh so also i have a very supportive partner in linda who's able to be at my side and not everybody has that I also have the desire to get better and to be able to seek out help. I don't believe that's 
that's not something I did of my own accord. It's just something that I have and I don't take it for granted. In other words, I don't want to compare myself to people who are not able to get help because there are many reasons for it. But for whatever reason, I'm able to show up and get help. And for all of those reasons, it puts me in a unique position to speak. And so I feel an obligation to do so. A hundred percent. It's, it's interesting because um, I used to cry. There was friends of mine that had struggled in, in certain areas. First of all, you spoke about desperation and that that was really the catalyst for you to deal with this and face this and, and make changes. And that, and I don't know for me, if I didn't hit a bottom with things in my life, if I would have, I like, I, I didn't have a choice. I was done. I need, like, I, I hit a bottom. I had to make changes and um, with my own internal stuff, you know? And, um, but I always, I would cry. I've lost friends to suicide and things, people that struggled with similar things as me. And I would cry. And I guess it's kind of survivor's guilt, right? Like, why me? Why am I doing the work? Why am I okay for today? Why do I keep going? You know? And it's not, I, I don't give myself credit. I say, if I can say nothing good about myself in a single day, if it's one of those days, right? I can say I'm a fighter. That's mm -hmm. all I can say. And that I know I, I keep fighting. I, the next right thing, the next right thing. I want to keep getting better. I don't know where that comes from. So I do, like you said, I don't judge others because it is hard work and it hurts. It hurts. So like, yes. So, so to be able to share is, is really wonderful. And, and Linda, you know, it, it takes a, a really beautiful, special person to, to be in, to be all in when shit hits the rocks, you know, like my partner, my boyfriend, like in quarantine, we live in a studio apartment, uh, being left with myself, there's been a whole other level of like stuff coming up and processing and feeling and speaking about that safety that Linda, you also provide. Like if I didn't have that in my partner, I don't know if I'd be able to be and feel that and process that, but he loves me unconditionally and there's no judgment and I'm safe, you know? And so, Linda, you know, um, Aaron was talking a little bit about that. It was an experience for you too. I, I, if it's okay to ask about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, at first, uh, like Aaron said, we had this two months of absolute, you know, we were just head over heels in love and that's actually never changed. It's just that when his symptoms started to appear and we didn't know what they were, um, you know, I, I wasn't public about that, you know, because at first, you know, when somebody's, what's interesting is having gone through this experience, I now recognize trauma in other people very easily. And I can look back on people in my life and go, oh my God, something terrible happened to them. Mm -hmm. But I, and they may have even tried to tell me not tried to tell me, but it may have come out and things that they said where, but like the, their story just went over my head. Right. I'm very lucky. I'm, you know, 
if one in four women have experienced, you know, sexual abuse of some, of some sort, and one in five men, they say, I'm, I'm in the lucky crowd because that didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a fortunate, I mean, I grew up in an alcoholic family tree, mm. right? So I had, there was alcoholism yeah. in my family, but um, there were so many blessings um, in how, in what my childhood was like compared to a lot of other people's. So when Aaron's symptoms started, you know, they just appeared like character defects. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like he was really jealous or like he was very insecure Mm -hmm. or that he didn't want me leaving town or, you know, um, it was very clingy. Fearful. This is, but, but it was confusing because I really felt like, you know, we were housemates for three months and then we were dating for two months and being Mm -hmm. housemates. And so I really felt like I knew the real Aaron. And when you know the real person, you don't blame them for anything. You know, Uh, you can have, I think it's, it was easy for me to have compassion. Some of the things that Aaron mentioned also helped in our favor. And when it comes to being of help and service to other people through our story, I am always cognizant that number one, Aaron, wanted to get better. He knew something was wrong. So many people are out there suffering from severe traumas and are using drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. Aaron wasn't doing that at this point in his life Mm -hmm. and hadn't been for some time. And he knew something was wrong and wanted to get better. Many people don't have that blessing. They don't think there's anything wrong with them. Their feelings are their feelings, their perception, their fears, their, um, you know, those things are, are real for the person who's suffering from them. And some people don't think that there's anything they need to change. You know, it's the world needs to change or the other people around them need to change. It it presents itself. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I I was just going to say it presents itself as reality the same way like depression does when I would be depressed. It was like, no, this is the truth. This is what really the world is like. And you guys just don't see it. Like you don't feel, I feel what, what really is. And that's, that's the thing is that these realities feel like reality, even though they're through a, a lens through trauma. And, you know, there's a line, there's a line in this, in the movie garage that we just shot that is really comes from um, what we're talking about. And it's when uh, Joshua, who's the main character who is suffering from massive PTSD and he's trying to get better. So he's revisiting the place where his trauma occurred, this garage where this Mm. person, you know, abducts him when he's five years old. And he, uh, there's a telephone conversation. And in the phone conversation, his wife calls him and he's just, he answers, but he's not really talking. He's just answering because she kept calling over and over again. So he finally answers and he's just having an attack and he's sitting in front of the garage. She doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that she says is he says, I'm not crazy. And she just says, I, I know you're not crazy. I, I love you. It, we just have to find the right person who understands what's happening to you. Right. Because we, went to like energy workers and 
uh, people who work remotely by sending messages or helping you look at energy in your body. Like we didn't really know what we were looking for. We just, I just knew that this like poor boy needed help. And when I say poor boy, I mean, you know, for Aaron, when he would, his triggers would come and he would go into what we call the bubble, he would become, uh, he would get reverted back in his mind to the fear of when he was five years old. And it was like he was a five-year-old yeah. um, in an adult body with a cell phone and a car right. and money That's right. <laughs> in a relationship. <laughs> like it was crazy. But um, yeah. So yeah, we really actually brought a lot, you know, the more we look at what we shot, the more we look at the script, the more we realize it really, you know, we did create a world that's a fictional world that's different from what Aaron's actual story is, but mm -hmm. there's so much that's similar. There's so much that's similar. And what we wanted to do was give people just an inkling of what it's like to feel like you're addressing things, to feel like you're dealing with it, to feel like you're just mm, smashing trauma, getting on top of it, dealing yeah. with your problems, you know, following the exercises in the book, yeah. doing what your therapist said, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just not, it doesn't work. It's just, it's not how trauma healing works. It, the healing is in the body, really. You have to do some body work in addition to everything. In any case, we just saw an amazing movie yesterday yeah. Called, it was it called, like garage. His, is it called, <laughs> his, is it called his room? Is it called his room? It's called his house. His house. I'm sorry. His house. Man. Really? Um, talk about a way to, I mean, it's fascinating. And we talked about this when we watched it last night. It's on Netflix. I'm writing it down. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Wow. Um, another approach to explaining what it's like to have trauma, this different mm. kind of trauma, but that is haunting people mm. because you can't really describe it. So you have to kind of get at it through other means. It's just like other things become triggers uh, that aren't necessarily related to your story. For example, mm -hmm. a lot of people wondered how Aaron would be able to direct and watch these actors go through situations that were similar to his. Yeah. But that's not really a trigger for Aaron. Other things are triggers, you know? Right. Um, but anyway, I get that. It's, it's a great movie that also handles in a really beautiful way uh, what it might be like for people who have trauma. I, yeah. I wrote it down on my list. Uh, yeah. I would, that sounds amazing. And, you know, and you just spoke about getting the right help and like that, you know, like banging away at it and doing all this stuff. It, it doesn't work. I like it's, there's no like silver bullet. There's no like, you know, one thing to do. And it's like, oh, it's like, got to figure out and, and finding you found, and you mentioned somebody named Richard, right? Um, but you've, there are people that you find that are able to help you find a way to what's going to help you. And to anybody that is watching or listening, like finding people that can, can really help the right people that can give you the right help is, is, I think it's, it's crucial. I just, the, and in terms of finding the right help, um, somebody that's trauma informed, that's kind of the, the phrase that we learned that we didn't know. 
And Richard himself, who diagnosed me, was was he was trauma informed, but not necessarily trauma trained. I mean, he wasn't. Yep. He, and but that led me to find uh, this place called Peace Over Violence in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, and they had a a program for male survivors. They deal with all kinds of um, abuse. Yeah. Um, but they had developed a program for male survivors. And I was able to get into that program where I met the two most amazing people who saved my life, uh, Joshua Beckett and Malena uh, Lukic. I, I, I forgive me, Malena, for messing up your last name. <laughs> but these two people, um, they heard me for the first time as a trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly what was going on. And I'd never met anybody like that. And it was, you know, it was so affirming. It was obviously helpful. And they introduced me to a community of male survivors. Um, uh, they, I still go to a, I haven't been going for a few weeks, but I, I often go to a weekly male survivors group meeting. Uh, it has to be on Zoom right now. Yeah. But being around other men who have gone through a similar thing was it it was so transformative and you know it's common for example one thing i learned that male survivors keep it together until many of them in their 40s or 50s and then they just fall apart just like really? I and it part of it is codes of masculinity you know the way men are supposed to be societal yep it's confusing like mm -hmm. there are you know, questions of sexuality and uh, identity and all of these things start coming into play when it, when it comes to trauma. Many yeah. of them also have abused drugs and alcohol like me. The more I'm in, the more I'm in this, I, I just think that most of addiction comes from some kind of trauma. I mean, I can't say all, of course, this is just my opinion, but, right. but it is the reason people, you know, it just reminds you know, people would often ask me, you know, how, how is it that someone who has everything to lose would use drugs or hmm. alcohol and, and ruin it? And I would be like, yeah, why would they? I, I mean, no shit. Right. Like, <laughs> something's wrong. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, I have all this great stuff. I mean, let me like wake up right. today and just drink it all away. Right. I mean, just it's, fuck off. Yeah. Like it's, it's not. It's, I just always felt like the question was backwards and, you know, it's the same, you know, it's, yeah. there's, there's some deep wound that is being, you know, uh, not fixed, but comforted. It's a way of getting by. Moving, it's, yes. It's desperation. And it works until it doesn't. And then, exactly. and then you have a big problem, but, uh, so. And it's, and, and, and that takes on many forms, right? Like alcohol, sex, food, you know, all different ways of acting out using substances, drugs to, I, I agree. There's some, you know, in a, in a lot of 12 step programs, they say it doesn't matter why it just is, you know, oh, that's a, that's a common, you know, thought mm -hmm. process. I, me personally, I, I believe 
yes, that's like a, you have to take the actions to do it. But I do believe it matters where things come from, because for me, without knowing where all this stuff, where all the symptom stuff is, is coming out of, it's hard to just clamp down the symptoms without healing what's causing them for me. It really fucking matters. It matters. Uh, it, I, I feel like that line is outdated <laughs> but I, because I understand, I take the point, but uh, yes, a lot of people I've met in recovery get to a certain point and then fall off the cliff again. Yep. Now they might not be using drugs and alcohol, but they do something. They do something. Ugh, and, up. and, you know, if you have developmental trauma, mm -hmm. which, which is what I have, there is no before. Hmm. That's what's weird. I mean, my trauma occurred when I was, uh, it, I think it was five. I thought it was four for many, but I looked at the date. It was actually when I was five years old. So there isn't much before in, in, as far as I'm concerned. So when I'm looking at to recover from trauma, it's hard to know like what you go back to. And so basically you're, you're, you're building a new, you're not, re it's not recovery in the sense that you're recovering what was there before, because I mean, I had my first sexual experience at five. I was kidnapped at five. I was, you know, all of these things, I don't need to go down the list, but it has a real profound impact on a person. Of course it <laughs> and, right. And I feel like people, look at that in a way. It's like, you have to like, look at what the thing is and then start to build out from there. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So I'm with you. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, there's this desire to smooth things over, to not look things in the face when it comes to trauma, because it's so uncomfortable. And I mean, who wants to think about what the act is, right. but, but until you actually bear witness to it, what it is, then you can't possibly understand the profound impact that it has on a person. Yep. And, and I think that, you know, one reason we use a suspense film or a horror film yeah. to look at untreated trauma is because what other way can you look at it than through that lens, which is a transgressive uh, uh, film genre that, that, that takes on things that are outside the, the boundaries of like polite society. <laughs> right, which is, which is the gift of art is that it gives us an outlet to, to, to meet with humanity without having to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody that's like, you know, they're not with you. It's like, it's out there. It's meant to affect who, you know, it's, it's, it's so important. And I, I have a, a question about that, but for myself, it's interesting because of the, I, I think it's because of the things that I've been through in my life, because of the pain that I feel as an actor, whatever material that I get, a lot of people are like, I don't, they're, they're not like me at all, or I don't get it. There is this, every script I ever get, I feel at one with the character because there's just this like human, human, like knowing what pain feels like, knowing what joy feels like. And then the rest is just like 
sprouting of a person, but it's just like the base of the humanity of it, especially like when a character is feeling any kind of pain. I worked on a somebody actually that, uh, it was somebody with PTSD actually. And I did this monologue thing and I didn't have to really work on it. I just, I know, like I, I just identified and I, it, it was such a beautiful piece that just spoke to it. And I just was like with this person. And so I guess, so I was saying that, but I was going to ask you guys. So having this experience and being this knowledgeable and emotionally aware of all of it, how do you think it affects your ability to bring it to the creative world? How do you think it affects your ability to direct it and write it? Do you think it, I'll leave it to you guys. Do you want me to go first and then you go, Linda? Or do you want to go sure. first? Yeah, go first. Well, yeah, it was interesting. A lot of people did worry about me on set, you know, that it would be uh, difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, as Linda said, it, it didn't bother me at all, but it did. Um, I feel like there's this thing, I mean, I, I remember so long ago in a fiction workshop being told to like write what you know you know write the experience that you know and then it will have this emotional truth to it and I know that that's sometimes bullshit but in this case it's true but you know with with garage there was something uh, just in just deciding I'm going to tell this story and that and I should say we because when we wrote it together Linda was able to infuse her experience into this this like like really important scene uh where the, the wife is calling the main character you're mentioning that before we're, yeah we're both in that scene and it's it's so real because it comes mm -hmm. out of what we experience together um and it's crafted you know at the same time there's an artifice to it that we worked on very hard to, to try and create that emotional truth but yeah but having gone through what we have gone through has allowed us access to a, a particular common experience of, of trauma that does allow us to, I think, talk to other people like us who have, who have experienced similar things. And they recognize the authenticity there and that there are certain experiences that do require that kind of authenticity. And, uh, yes. And, you know, it's, it's interesting as you, because uh, the main actor that we had when he, his audition just killed, like it was incredible. And, mm. and when I met him, I, I wanted to ask him if he'd ever been through anything like that. And he, he, he intuited what I was about to ask. And he's like, you want to know if I've ever been through anything like that? <laughs> and he's like, no, I haven't. And, and he, wow. uh, so there's like, two things going on when you're making something right yeah like, he's just trained and good at what he does and mm. was able to get there i on the other hand experienced it and linda experienced it and we were yeah. able to pour and so the, the in in that cauldron of drama we were able to pour everything in and stir it up and hopefully we have a very, an amazing movie but um but this yeah. this was a very you know the most personal thing i've ever worked on so linda well, I don't know. I don't know that I really have anything to add to that. I mean, I'll just <laughs> I'll just echo that we got super lucky with our actors, and Wonderful. you know, Aaron is an extremely collaborative person, 
Um, I get that you are too, Samantha. That's and, um, <laughs> I'm like my um, people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So he was able to really dialogue, you know, he was really as much as, as the things that Aaron writes, you know, come from within, he is not really precious always about his work. He'll maybe hold on to one or two things mm -hmm. that feel really important to him. But yeah. because of that, you know, he really looked forward to hearing like how the production designer would imagine it. And he collaborated Wonderful. for like seven, eight, nine months with our director of photography prior to filming, who brought a lot to this film, Michael Nye. Um, yeah. And when we got into the, and, mm. and then of course the topic of the film attracted, I think a lot of people who agreed to work on it for either, you know, a pro bono type of situation right. or for, you know, basically minimum wage, which was yeah. all you know, that we had the budget to pay people. And, um, but when he got to talking with um, the actors um, in particularly um, Mark Collier, who plays the pedophile in our film, that was mm. so informative and became such a big part of the film. It actually shifted the script and expanded the role actually based on not only his audition, but his dialogues with Aaron um, the week before we filmed. Uh, it was in a really wow. an incredible process. And then, wow. and then you get there and you're working against time and mother nature and yes. the wind and the sun is setting and yes. you've crammed a three-day shoot into a two-day shoot and you're <laughs> flipping out and you're making decisions to let go of things like on the fly thinking, I hope we have enough I know. to like actually piece this story together. And then um, that's real. That's the real stuff. That's that, you know, and then we like, wow peeled through the dailies and felt really confident that even though we didn't shoot everything we had intended, that we really have a great, an amazing editor, Toby Yates, and um, we're confident that he's got material to work with. And then we have the most incredible post team. And so now we've got everything that we need recorded. And now we have the most incredible composer, Jay Gruska and the wow. most incredible supervising sound editor, Michael Lachey, and um, an amazing post producer who's helping kind of mentor us and shepherd us through the post process. Cause I, you know, I, I've never had the opportunity to work with something from its inception or actually mm. from life to then its inception, yes. you know, to wow. um, a finished product. Yeah. So this is kind of, you know, really a dream come true for me. I've worked for like 21 years in television and film production and distribution, yes. but I'm not a writer. I'm not a creator type of creative. I'm a creative, but I've never been the one to like write the music or put the words on the page. I'm really good at editing. I'm really good at coming in and fine tuning. I'm mm -hmm. really good at noticing authenticity and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, but thankfully, our post-producer, John Breinholt, has been so generous to just shepherd us through this process. And we're in the fun part right now. Like, I mean, everything's been fun, but it's pretty, you know, anxiety provoking to go through the filming phase. And then once you got everything, it's, you're, it's like you're writing the movie all over again, but you're relying wow. on your editor and composer. And it's just... 
we're like on cloud nine right now. We can't believe the people who have worked on this film and we can't believe the people who are now working on this film. Like for first time filmmakers, this film is totally blessed. And we have wow. every opportunity to make the best film possible for where we're at right now. Like there's nothing really working against us. So we're lucky. Yeah, you're not just lucky. Um, you, I can hear myself. I don't know how I hear myself. <laughs> Sorry if you guys hear me four times. No, you uh, sound normal. You sound Okay, normal. great. Uh, you're not just lucky. You guys are who you are. You, this happened not just because everything fell into place. It's because you guys, who you are, you guys are who you are. I feel it. And just even how you spoke about being collaborative and being open-minded and that you're not set on your things and the, the gratitude and appreciation for that is pouring out of you guys for, for your experience, for your process, for the people along the way, like you guys are so present and, and, grateful and no wonder people want to work with you for whatever it costs because it's not always about the the money or whatever people believe in you people believe in this and it's I haven't seen it yet but but you're right you're absolutely right just from talking to you about it I know I'd be like fuck yeah these guys are you know like so I'm sure that's what everybody feels around you so you guys are hell yeah I'm so, so happy for you guys. Yeah, you know, having, I was really blessed to work on uh, on HBO series for like most of my career in production. I worked That's on- That's what Curb I remembered. Your, yeah, yeah I worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm for a long time. Yes. And it, the, 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 the good feeling that people have when they're a part of a crew, it does trickle down from the top. I can tell you that. I believe that, yep. Uh, there were different people who were at the helm aside from Larry David, right? Larry's Larry. Um, but, uh, we, you know, I just, I've worked in so many environments in production where people are not nice and it's just not something that I've ever been able to wrap my mind around. I just don't know why anybody has a reason or a need to treat other people as, you know, um, less than, or to be mean to them, or just to, you know. I know. I, I it, at a certain point I had to chalk it up to just like so many people had um, like uh, diabetes and they like, they were <laughs> like major sugar crashes and they were so mean. Um, but it was sort of I, like, there was a lot of personalities that I just didn't care for when I worked in television advertising and commercials. Yep. Uh, I just felt like, why? Why just not treat everybody with respect? As an actor, when I was an actor for like 18 years, one of the first things I learned is like, be nice to everybody. Be nice to everybody. Be nice yep. to the person who is um, the receptionist at the casting director's office. Hello. Right? I- you know who the assistant was for Allison Jones for years? Who? Um, it's Phyllis, now on The Office, you know, who was on The Office. Right. Um, that was Allison's assistant. Like, you know, or, or, or eventually her next assistant became a casting director, right? Like, just be nice to everybody. Oh, and not, yeah. Not just because it's self-serving, but, you know. No, when I first started uh, in casting and I was just a little assistant signing people in, um, I remember the people that were nasty to me 
And like, I'm a nobody to them. I'm not the casting director. So they didn't have to be nice to me. And then I wound up being a casting You're director. The casting they were, director now. <laughs> and they would walk into my room and they'd be like, oh, oh, and I remember. And you know what? When I'd be running a session and like the person that was signing people in my assistant that was outside, they would tell me if somebody was mean to them. And I was like, who? Who was me? And like, I don't forget that. Don't treat anybody like crap. Nobody. I don't care. I get, I get very passionate about this, but I also like with casting for me personally, God willing, I get to direct and do things at the level I want. I will not hire somebody. I don't care if they're the best actor in the entire world. If they are not respectful to every cast and crew member, if they are not a team player, I don't care how talented they are. I don't want them on my project. I just don't. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people don't feel that way, but it's, I like, yeah. Yeah. You remember Aaron at our, at the safety meeting that we had, which was also like the welcome to our set um, from our first AD, Rain, uh, Rain Gia Harris, right? Did I say her last name right? Gia Harris. Um, And Melissa Daniels, our executive producer and our line producer, uh, you know, they had um, a really nice few words for everybody because we had people on our crew who normally work maybe as a production manager now, but they came to do craft service because, you know, our line producer wrangled an amazing crew of people who came to work. So they made it very clear like regardless of what your title is on this film, like we're all here now together and we're all gonna make this day work. And it was a really different vibe than any set I've ever been on. And I was, you know, proud of that. I was proud to be a part of that. And the best compliment that you can have as a producer is when somebody, regardless of what their position is, comes up to you, especially if it's like, you know, a driver or a production assistant or a mm-hmm. background actor, not that we had any of those people on this small crew, but um, well, we did have drivers, but they weren't teamsters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when they come to you and say, this is a really great set, it's a really great crew. That's the ultimate compliment. And that's it really is how you can tell you're some, somehow you're, you're doing something right. It's, it's very, very clear that you guys are doing a lot right. It's, it's, it's very, very clear and palpable, really. Uh, I'm so moved by, by all of it. And there's a million, a million things uh, that I could ask you guys. Um, but so Garage is, so now it's in post, correct? Mm-hmm. And it's, it will be coming out in February, did you say? Or it will be finished in February? It will be finished in February and we'll probably have you know, like a private screening for our backers. And uh, we'll probably do that somewhere in Los Angeles. Uh, I hear movie theaters are renting for really cheap. <laughs> are so, they? Like, we might even have a private screening at like AMC or something, you know, versus That'd like a be small so private cool. screening room, right? We'll have to figure that out. Um, and then wow. uh, we don't really do any public showings because we're going to be submitting it to um, you know, some film festivals. Cause really the, the life of a short film is, you know, I, there's a vibrant short film community out there and marketplace for short films. Yeah. I don't think I was really aware until we decided to make a short film, just how massive it, it is. But as soon wow. as we have our finished film, we have a couple people who are interested in investing in, in features. 
So we're going to be Wonderful. Um, going down that road because um, we're Aaron's uh, rewriting the feature script right now, which is what we started with. But the working on the short film informed the feature so much that we have to go back and now shift things and change. Yeah, I'm sure. Some big conceptual things came out of working on this project as it pertains to how the pedophile is portrayed and um, there's going to be some really different things about the feature than are in the short, but there's still some, a lot of work to do. So that's it's our a, next thing. So cool. And it's so interesting because it, it, it wound up being, um, a lot of people do a short and then turn it into a feature, but you started with the feature and turned it into a short and we'll go back to the feature, which is, which is for those of you that aren't familiar with the process in this biz, that's not usually the, the way it goes. So I think that's really interesting. Aaron, also you wrote a novel during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did a novel version of the feature. But the thing is that they, they were all talking to each other and they were all developing. And because I hadn't made a film before, I was, the closer we got to filming and then filming itself, yeah. it, it really taught me so much about what the script needs to do. Mm. So I'm a much better script writer and and so I'm, you know, the first version of the feature film, for example, is too expensive. And I know what that mm -hmm. means now. I know how to like fix that. And so I'm, I'm reconceiving certain things about it that will make it uh, more easy for us to, not easy, but more affordable really. Yeah. And I guess we're shooting in Oxnard, California. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> Anything that's cheaper than Los Angeles. <laughs> so, yeah. but I also, yeah, I'm a, I'm a trained novelist and fiction writer. So I, I did write a, a novel version and half of it's very good. And then half of it's a, a disaster, but, <laughs> but that, that experience fed back into the short script again. So I kept going back to the short and then it just got better and better and more what it needed to be. And so, yeah. So cool. And, and is this the novel that you're speaking of uh, or is this novel you're speaking of in addition to the novel that had you said earlier, uh, you'd spent five years, right? Working on a novel. Yeah, that novel is uh, uh, called Speakers of the Dead and okay. it, it came out in 2016. And it's about awesome. a, young, a young Walt Whitman and how his trauma <laughs> led to his writing Leaves of Grass. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, that's exactly what I was doing. And- uh, Isn't that fascinating? So- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so that's that, wow. that novel. But I found actually the novel writing process and publication to be uh, a little underwhelming. Uh, not that anybody, I had a great publisher, great editor, all of those things were great, but you know, I always wanted to make films. And I kind of thought, because I came from like a small town and I, I didn't know anybody that made films and things, that the way for me to do that would be through fiction because I could get a job as a professor and publish my stories and then publish a novel, get it optioned yeah. and then get it made. But I didn't realize that even, even in that scenario, I wouldn't be making it. That's what <laughs> And I was a little naive about it, but, but uh, you don't know until you know, you know? No, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a little like the fantasy of getting to work on a film set. And it's yeah. like, I'm making a movie. And you're like, when you're a PA, 
you do get valuable experience and you should do it. Yes. But you're not a filmmaker. Right. You, you clean bathrooms. Right. So, and that's- You breathe important. the air that is making a film and hopefully some of that stays in your lungs. <laughs> yes, but you, you, you still have to commit to making the film yourself. That's the only way to do it, which sounds so obvious, but you, know, you have no. to make a film to be a filmmaker. <laughs> that's, but when, you know what is amazing, like you said, that, that, uh, that script is too expensive and you know, like it, it would be too much. But you know what, I always tell, tell this to people and I gotta take my own advice, but like I'll have ideas and I'll wanna start writing my own thing but those are the things that keep me. It's like, oh, but if I shot that, I would have to pay for this and I don't have that kind of money. And so I, I always tell people, and I really do need to take my own advice, is just write it. Write it the way you feel it, the way you see it. Those things can always be tweaked later, whatever, the location or this and that. But like, write your idea, just get it out there because then you can always change it. But if you if you just stay stuck because I can't do it because it's just, for me, I'm just yeah. never going to do it with those but, but, but. I agree with that. And now I'm in the adjustment stage. <laughs> I wrote it the it's way possible. I wanted. Yeah. And, now and now I'm adjusting because I understand what that means. But no, you just, if you're a creative, you just have to, you have to do the work. Like there's no other, there's no shortcut. You have to yeah. show up. If you're a writer, you have to look at the page every day or you have to, I mean, whatever you have to do, you have to show up and do the work. There's no yep. substitute for that. So it's, you said, um, so you were a professor and uh, got to put your stuff out that way and you realized that was not what you wanted to do. You wanted to make your own stuff. And Linda, you as well, you worked in television and, but it was never your own stuff. Um, did you enjoy it or were you always yearning for more? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Cause I think what I realized and even not too long ago was that I just felt like a fish out of water while I was in production all those years, mm. because I really am a creative at heart. Um, and production is not creative. Uh, it's just not, it's, like it's an office job with cameras and budgets mm. and different, you know, rules and types of paperwork flow. That's really how I saw it. I was really proud to be a part of a lot of the projects that I worked on and I got really great experience and it paid the bills uh, yeah. sometimes pretty well, but I was really not in my comfort. I was really out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And what I found the first time Aaron asked me to read one of his scripts was that I, um, you know, I worked on this improvised show for like over 16 years. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really adept at like reading scripts. And I was really nervous to read a script because I felt like everybody reads scripts in Hollywood. And <laughs> I don't know how to read a script. It's going to feel foreign to me. And I really enjoyed it. And I actually found that um, I have like a lot of instincts about dialogue and about uh, because I was an actor. Um, I know what it's like to have to say the words yep. and sometimes when you just think about dialogue as you're watching a movie you think gosh it's really pretty if it's a good script it's so simple they're not saying anything right there's just all this room for the actors to just be and we really found that is to be mm. really true in our film because if you've got great actors you know, we even had a moment where we had written a line for an actor to say, 
and I was watching him say it on the screen and I thought, oh my gosh, it comes across like almost too over the top. It was just one, two words he was saying. I get it. Yeah. So we went back and just said, do it again, but just think the words, don't say them out loud. And he uh. even came to us and said, oh, wow. Like that like was a really great suggestion because it really changed everything for me in this one so important, it was an important moment too. Yeah. Not that any moment's not right. Important. I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, um, I was out of my comfort zone for a long time. Yeah. And when we got our composers, um, some of the music that he had composed for other people's projects that we were just like going to lay down as our, our temp tracks yeah. that we gave to our editor, I looked at Aaron and I said, I think I just fell in love with filmmaking because this is incredible. Ah. I can't, like, I can't even believe, like, we just got what we got and it looks amazing. And the wind didn't ruin our recordings. And wow. But now we have this we get to add and that person we get to add. And mm. we're just um, really excited wow. to make our next film. Yeah. Wow. It's much, like you said, it's much more fun to work on your own things, but it's a lot of work and it takes a long time. Yes. Um, we had somebody who's approaching us um, about um, in the world of trauma to um, that she wants to make a documentary based on her personal experience. And I'm mm. thinking, does she know, like, if we even said yes, <laughs> that, <laughs> that this could potentially be years out of her life that she, yes. she would be giving and you know, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a long process. 100%. 100%. Yeah. We're gonna, it's, go ahead. Well, just, just two things. Um, it reminds me of when I started pitching, uh, you know, you'd go around to different um, production companies and pitch your ideas and things. Yeah. And I, I remember just thinking like, why isn't anyone saying yes? Or like, why don't, and it, I didn't understand from their point of view, like what was going on, which is that like, when you bring someone on, you know, it's their life too for a long time. And, and you, you just don't quite, don't have that quite, you know, which is why we were so grateful when uh, Melissa Daniels brought her company, We The People on mm -hmm. board to produce Garage. Like that is equally mir miraculous to me. Just, just like that she would put um, her company behind the, the project. Um, and uh, just to shift, I just wanted to return back to Linda as a creative because- I was gonna make a comment. Um, Can I pause you for one second? Yeah. I just wanna say this because Linda, I just wanted to tell you this because I literally wrote it down. When you were talking about being realizing you were creative and that you, Aaron's head was just like, like so in sync with that you are so creative. And like, I just thought it was really beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. that you both were feeling it. So please, Aaron, go ahead. But I just, I felt it so beautifully, so. Well, I mean, when I met her, I didn't, I didn't think that, or I didn't even, I, I didn't know. I knew she was an actor and all this. Anyway, long yeah. story short, she's really <laughs> fucking good at it. <laughs> and and so awesome. much, so much so that uh, every script I write now, she gets a story by credit we, we have a story by uh, Aaron Sanders and Linda Balaban. And then I, I write the script, but then she comes in and we develop the story together and she helps me rewrite the script. 
So it's, she's, she's, you know, as much a part of the process as, um, as you could be. And she's, she's extremely good at it. She's also an extremely good producer with good instincts and, uh, good directing instincts as well. She's just very talented. So it's, when she said, she did look at me the other day and said, I just fell in love with filmmaking, but it was like, she was declaring love for another person. It mm -hmm. was, it was so heartfelt and emotional for her. Uh, I get it. Oh, and, I love it. And it, it made me so happy because mm -hmm. I know she's been working in production for all of these years. And, and you know, it's just to finally feel at one with what you're doing is incredibly powerful. Wow. That's so beautiful. I, oh, wow. That finding a love like that is like finding the love of your life. Like there's, it's, I, I never knew anything could bring me so much joy until from being a casting director, I realized how much I love directing and that I can't say this about anything about myself. I'm not, I'm hard on myself, but I'm like, I'm fucking good at it and I love it. And I'm with them. And I, you know, like, and to find that love, like my boyfriend will point out to me, he's like, do you see how happy you are after I get off teaching a class? And there's nothing like that. And I always you're felt using like a different part of your brain. Yep. Yep. And you, and I'm so grateful that you are getting to do that. Like, I know what it's like to feel like a fish out of water and to be doing things and making money doing it, but then to find something that really speaks to you and that you're loving is just, I'm so happy for you, for both of you, really. It's amazing that it came out of trauma too. I know. And, you know, so. Yes, which is the whole reason why we're here. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. There can be light at the end of the tunnel. And um, for today, this feels like the light for me. And I'm, I'm so grateful to get to share this with you. And um, I'm going to ask you uh, info about like, uh, you know, where people can keep up with this and stuff. Actually, go ahead and, and tell me uh, if I'll put it, guys, I'll be putting it all with the episode uh, links to keep up with them and, and garage and all the good stuff they're doing. But if you guys want to share now. Well, you can keep up with our story at 72hourhold.com. It has been a little on hold at the moment, but we'll start generating new content very soon. But there's quite a bit of content there as well. Great. There's, there's also a resources page for getting started on your trauma recovery journey. Um, our goal, as I said, is to save people time. Uh, you could reach out to us if you need, you know, through our website, if you want any, to ask any questions, but we are not professionals, but we refer to professionals and there are some books. The, the best book I've ever read on trauma is called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. And I can send you the link if you want to put it in the notes. It, That'd be great. It really is an incredible book, but uh, the film is living right now at garagemovie.com. And it's, uh, mm. and then we'll be updating all of those things as we go. Um, and I think you can follow the film on Facebook at Great. Garage, Garage Movie. Uh, Linda, what else would you add? I don't know. I would just add like that. 
our next our next project is going to be a comedy <laughs> after like, after the feature like Aaron does right then um um there's two other projects that are in development one is a time travel love story and the other Ooh. is um a comedy um uh animated project yeah one oh oh my god black, okay black comedy uh, oh my god i so cannot wait to hear more about these okay. um yeah. these this fantastic and can they find info on that or at dissection media no. at the website okay we're, or, we're not sharing it yet because they're mm -hmm. still in development so. okay very fair um there was something else i was just gonna say um okay you'll tell me the info and i'll post it all um but there's one thing i just i want to ask you guys um there is a portion of my show that is called the feather in your cap and by feather in your cap i mean an achievement i mean we've talked about so much but an achievement that you've had um that you carry along with you that serves you to this day, that may serve you in the future. Uh, it could be a success, something you've learned. And I just wanted to know if you had anything with regards to anything that you'd be willing to share with others. Uh, my feather, I like the question, the feather <laughs> in my cap would come from uh, one of my first creative writing professors at the University of Utah named Francois Camoin, who mm. passed away a few years ago. But he said, if you wanna be a writer, you have to write every day. And you hear that all the time. And he said, he said, even if it's 10 minutes, he said, everybody has 10 minutes, set a timer for 10 minutes, but do it. And I did it. And I know a lot of other people in the class did too, because some of them have become successful writers, but, mm. but I started doing that and I literally did it for 10 minutes at a time and I still do it. That's amazing. The only I way did, to get better at it is to, to put in the time. I did that with uh, the artist's way. Um, she would have you write three longhand you know, pages. And I did that for a couple of years and it changed my life. And then I was at like a retreat and we had to be up at like six in the morning and it was a whole day. And I, I got out of the routine and I never got back consistently. Knock wood, maybe for today. You can come back to it anytime. I know. That's why yet, yet, I haven't yet. Thank you. Linda, how about you? I don't know if I have a feather in my cap. I feel like, <laughs> I love that she looks at it. <laughs> this is feather-like. Oh, I do have, a, there's a feather back there, but I won't get up and get it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think if I have a feather in my cap, it's more in terms of like maybe a personal growth thing than it has to do yes. necessarily with, you know, filmmaking or, um, yeah, anything. you know, working in TV and film, but I guess it's really just for some reason, I just have an, uh, sometimes an overabundance of empathy, I think for people and I'm constantly except for a few people in the world who shall go unnamed, but you could probably guess who they are. <laughs> um, I go I, nuts. Yes. I, when people make mistakes, I, I, somehow there's a part of me that comes to people's defense. You know, uh, when, or when they do something that seems wrong or inappropriate or offensive, I always feel like, 
that there's a reason why they did that and that they should be forgiven because mm. they're having a tough day or because you're assuming that they were looking a certain way, but they couldn't see what you think they could see, you know, like car troubles, you know, like when other people are in cars and they piss you <laughs> off or whatever, um, just little things like that. But it kind of keeps me real, I think. Um, it's not that I, I'm not a judgmental person because <laughs> I, I definitely am. But um, Aaron seems to point this out to me a lot. Sometimes, <laughs> I know, oh, what, sometimes, what? sometimes like, it's not a great thing, but um, that I'm constantly like defending other people. Like I always mm -hmm. come to their defense, you know, like that. But well, you know, maybe... to be fair, I mean, you do. Is have that, a... that's not a feather in my cap? No, that's oh. not quite. The, that's not quite the way it goes. You are very empathetic, and it's beautiful, and it actually makes you a better artist because you can understand all sides of the characters' motivations and such. And it makes you a great human. And um, I was going to defend myself, but I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean anything as an attack. No, I, I know. I was going to make, uh, yeah, let's just, like, let's leave it. <laughs> uh, another feather in my cap is like, you know, learning when to shut up. Knowing when to shut That is one that I am going to have to learn to the day I die. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to keep learning every day. Um, the, the, on that empathy note, um, yeah. Um, I, I too, I always, I used to have this conversation with my brother, like growing up, we would talk about like, if somebody was a murderer and then everybody's like, well, they're a psycho asshole. They deserve to die. And I'd go, and I, I do feel compassion for the victims, but I also then go, can you imagine what they have been through the anger and the pain that they must feel that they are doing what they're doing, how sick and unhappy, like, and I, it breaks my heart. And it's, a, I have to separate that because I don't know, I can't save everybody <laughs> and I can't change that, you know, I don't make the rules, yeah. but yeah, I identify with that a lot, both of you guys. So it was, it was so wonderful having you guys. And um, when those projects shall be named uh, in the future and we can, we can talk about those then, but guys, thank you so, so much. And guys, Thank you so much for tuning in. If I hope that this brings you an ounce of understanding or compassion for the, the subject that we're talking about. And if this could possibly help anybody that you know, or possibly um, tell them to take a listen and tell them to definitely be tuning into this film. Cause, uh, and I'll be letting you guys know when that's coming out, but uh, finishing up in February. So that'll be good. <laughs> guys, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank really. Thank you guys so much. And thank you guys for tuning in. You can like, rate, subscribe, any of that good stuff. It helps us stay connected and keep this thing going. But my guests today, you guys are so wonderful. I am so happy for you guys. And I cannot wait to see the film. It sounds unbelievable. And you guys were unbelievable. Thank, thank you, really you so for much. having us. Thank, thank you, you so guys. Much. Thank you guys so much.